0: Today we're talking to Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman's a great friend of mine. Kendall plays professional baseball and pitches for the Houston Astros. So we go through his journey. Now, I just got finished doing this, and it was, it was probably one of the best episodes that we've ever done from a story perspective, from an advice perspective. So we talk about how after his freshman year at Mississippi State, playing baseball, he nearly quits, and how his dad refused to let him quit. And the journey from sleeping in a house with eight other guys and one of them's wife, to sitting there talking to a guy by the name of Derek Jeter in the last two weeks of his major league career, and the advice that Derek Jeter gave Kendall, and all the different things in between, you are going to absolutely love this episode with Kendall Gravesman. First question I always like to ask everybody, who are you, what do you do, and why does it matter? I'm Kendall Gravesman. <laughs>
1: I play baseball, and I guess it matters because we entertain a lot of people every that's year. Right, I mean, that's u- ultimately, that's been in the game, in the big leagues for nine years. I figured out that I'm an entertainer. I yep. um, feel like traveling circus sometimes,
0: and uh, that's, I guess, why why we do it. Sure. So the hard part about doing these, these types of conversations is because I know just about every question I'm going to ask. Yeah. But some of these things, I, I, like I had Ari on here, and I know Ari as well as I know you, and there were a bunch of things that she told me that I didn't know about her. So there's always something in there. So, so baseball, play professional baseball. That's really, really romanticizing mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And there's a lot of kids out there that want to play professional baseball, basketball, football, whatever, okay? Um, take me back to being a kid. How were you raised? Your folks, all that kind of stuff, and just how that, how what 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 was that like? Being a kid, like growing up, like did you always want to be a professional baseball player? Give me give me some thoughts there. I think
1: uh, I didn't set out to be a professional baseball player. I just had a passion for the game, and I think yeah. obviously I know where it stemmed from. My dad played collegiate baseball. Um, he, he just enjoyed the game. He's coached. He coached. He's still coaching. He's retired from teaching. He taught for. Uh, better part of 32 33 years and he's still coaching he taught elementary PE K through five so (laughs) he would come home sometimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah he had a great PE set up too like if they were learning dribbling like everybody had a basketball if they were jump roping everybody had a jump rope like the whole deal he had everybody had bowling pins in the alley when they like in the gym set it up so um, now looking back and being in some PE classes, but seeing how he operated it, there was a you know spirit of excellence that was always there. So, uh, I, I, my my mom also would support like going to the ball field and sure. doing that. It was a family thing. It was a yeah. thing that my brother and I would go and. So my dad coached for eighteen year, years at Childersburg High School. Okay, and then when we got to the age where we were playing like city league baseball and rec sports. My dad felt like he was missing out. We were living in Alexander city. He was traveling back and forth and he was also coaching after he would teach. And it was just long days and he would get home late and miss a lot of stuff that he felt like when we were born, he stopped coaching baseball. He still taught there, sure, but it would give him afternoons where he'd be home. Right. So my brother and I started playing youth baseball and, um, one year my dad would coach my age and my team And then the next year, he would coach my brother and his team. So he'd flip flop. -flop. Yeah. So it was great. So we both got to get coached from him. And then the next year, we'd have a coach that was of another parent, you know? Right. And so for me, that's how it went. I went, got into middle school. My dad got a job in Alexander City as a. a PE teacher there at one of the elementary schools, and then he jumped on board as an assistant with the baseball team. So he actually coached me through junior high and high school. Uh, So he's able to get back into coaching uh, at the high school level.
0: So really similar to me in the fact that you grew up it was always a coach there. Right. Dad was a coach just like my dad, so that's, that's really, really good. So growing up, if you were 12, 13, 14 years old, and Johnny, the rando postman, Came up and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you say? Did you have any thoughts in your mind about what you want to be when you grow up? I, I, I think back at those ages, I don't I, – like,
1: honestly, I wanted to play collegiate baseball, and I okay. didn't really think anything past that. Like, yep. that was it. I went to the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover every year, and I grew up an Alabama fan. I wanted to play for Alabama, and mm-hmm. I wanted to play in the SEC specifically. Sure. Like, because I would go watch those teams, and I like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I never really went to big league games or watched a whole lot of that. So that was my dream, was play SEC baseball.
0: So the biggest thing, I think it started, and I'm a little older than you are, the biggest thing that started when I was a kid was travel baseball. Yeah. Okay. So travel baseball was a big deal. How much did you, how much were you involved with the whole travel baseball scene? Because that's like, and I'm going to be honest with you. We have kept our kids, away, and this sounds horrible, and, and I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, we've kept our kids away from baseball and softball. Right. Because in some of the places I've been, the culture around travel baseball can be a little toxic, meaning parents are crazy, kids are playing abnormal amounts of games, right. the kids are playing all year round, those types of things. So tell me, what, what was your experience like growing up? Because you're, you're oh. well, how old are you, 34? I'll be thirty three this month. Thirty
1: three in this December. Month. Okay. So, for me, I just think it's a. Um, when I was in high school and in, in junior high, it was fairly new. Yeah. You know, it was. I played a couple summers, but it was like four weekends, five weekends in the summer. You know that Didn't I play would in go the fall. No, I played football all fall. Yeah, like, you I, did. And I still think it's very important, <laughs> like to to play as many sports as possible i played basketball all the way up to high school i played football all the way through middle school and high school i played baseball like it was a revolving door of what sport i was going to play next and it wasn't like we were traveling all over the place and i know now looking back i have kids of my own but and they're they're getting a little bit older and they're about to be in this stage of life where they may want to play sports or be into something i understand how time consuming it was but it was also refreshing for me as a kid to advance to another sport and not just play one sport. And I think from the athletic standpoint and from the development standpoint, doing different things. I played soccer when I was younger in a city league. I played tennis, um, a rec league in tennis. Like right. I played a lot of sports. Yeah. Um. So I think it helped with the development of of
0: that. When did you figure out that you you thought okay, I think I can i got a potential to be a college baseball player. When did it? When did the light bulb go off in your mind and go, I think I can do this uh, at the next level?
1: Yeah, there was a guy named Scott Sullivan who played in the big leagues with the Reds most of his career for like nine years, okay. a relief pitcher. He was my summer league coach one year uh, out of a team out of Auburn. In high school? In high school, like my sophomore year maybe, junior going into my junior year. Okay. And he kind of was volunteering the next year at Auburn. And – I got introduced to the pitching coach there, who is Butch Thompson. Yep. And Butch started recruiting me, and then that kind of was the moment I was like, okay, well, if he's recruiting me, then maybe sure. you know that's something that is plausible and possible for me in my next step.
0: So talk about the recruiting process. Um, Butch was at Auburn, correct?
1: Butch was at Auburn. It was Slater was the head coach. Okay. I committed to play at Auburn. Right. Crushed my dad, like. Yeah. Dad, big Alabama fan. Big Alabama, <laughs> roll tide. <laughs> yeah, roll tide <laughs> from the time I was born <laughs> right. till last weekend when we watched the game. you know, <laughs> like right. Man, I'm telling you what, my brother the same way, like family. And they were like, oh my, we grew up 40 minutes from Auburn. So it was uh-huh. like everybody I knew was Auburn fans. And I just was happy they were going to pay for some of sure. my schooling. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, this is awesome. And Slater got fired. So you
0: would committed.
1: I committed. Head ball coach gets fired. Head ball coach gets fired. Head ball coach doesn't get a job anywhere else. Mm. Butch gets a job and um, ends up going to Mississippi State as a pitching coach. Okay. But Butch, with his reputation, the man he is, he wasn't going to call us and try to take us away from our commitment from Auburn. Okay. The new coach at Auburn really didn't honor as many of our commitments as we would have wanted. And yeah. – my dad actually called Butch, Tom, Butch Thompson while he was in Mississippi State. He was like, hey, y'all still interested in Kendall? Because Auburn's kind of uh, in and out. And he said, absolutely. We just weren't going to – I wasn't going to put myself in that situation of calling somebody, taking them away from sure. somewhere. And uh, then they recruited me in Mississippi State. I committed to Mississippi State and ended up playing there for four years. Gotcha. How did you like Starkville? I loved it. Okay. It was just far enough from home where, sure, you know, I could go home on the weekends if I needed, but it was far enough where I felt like I was having to – grow up you yeah. know Auburn would have been mom could have done my laundry on the weekends oh, if I no. wanted you know
0: well I tell people this all the time and I encourage kids if you're 15 minutes away you're still away yeah not being in there with mom and dad because there's a portion I'm not a huge college fan like I think that college if you have to this is awful too this is a the first, <laughs> first podcast where we've just ripped on just this the mind of Thomas. Thing, the thing that my <laughs> mind's coming out I am not a huge fan of just like college right I went. I've got a master's degree, but I had didn't pay for anything. Yeah, I'm not a fan of college that you that you like have to pay, take tons of debt yeah, out yeah. to do right, all that. Right. If your folks are going to pay for college, if you get a scholarship, perfect, freaking awesome. Yeah, but I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I had a chance to grow. It is the perfect, in my opinion, perfect seg- mm-hmm. bridge segue between being a kid. And being an adult because there's no switch that goes off to where you are just, you graduate from high school and all of a sudden you're an adult. Right. It doesn't happen. Your brain's not mature enough. Mm -hmm. It's not fully developed Mm -hmm. until like you're your mid twenties. So 18 to 24, 18 to 22, whatever, 23 for me. Yeah. Is a, is a growing time. And I grew so much having to pay the light bill, having yeah. to pay the water, having to pay my rent, yeah. all of those things. My car insurance, whatever. Having to go grocery shopping. Having to go having grocery to Do your laundry. Shop. That's all of it. it. Yeah. So I think that that was a huge thing for me. So being away. Did you? Did you? How far? Did you get a degree, or did you get drafted? I'm
1: eight hours short. Eight of hours short. Of a mechanical engineering degree. <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: I got wow. eight hours left. I got two labs. One class, which is a Chem 2
0: class because I kept dropping it every year, (laughs) and then uh, a senior-level design class. So what was the plan, though? Like, first year, I mean, everybody thinks they could go to the big leagues, but you had to have a, quote, backup plan. What was the plan?
1: Well, I went back after my first year getting drafted, and going back to what you were talking about, the development part, like, I see it firsthand. Like, there's guys in this sport that get drafted at high school, and there's guys that go into college and play And you definitely see the difference, you know, the the development. The same thing you're talking about is being able to do life skills. I think number one is, and this is not for everybody, like, this is just what I've seen from from most the development of of social skills and Mm. social, like being able to communicate and do things on your own. And then also, I think, secondly, is like the development I just see from outside of baseball, like having to pay car bills and having to, mm. not needing as much help on a, because getting drafted at a high school, you're probably getting paid a lot of money. You probably can just get people to do it for you. Sure. I think college guys will figure it out more and say, hey, I'm gonna go do it myself.
0: Right, the social skill yeah. aspect, so it just yeah. proves that it's okay to go to a bar right. and talk to people. Yeah, right. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta spend time in <laughs> the bar talking point. to chicks. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so talk about Mississippi State. You're there. Um, what transpires after there? How does it, what does it flow from there? Mississippi State, yeah, four years
1: playing there, and then got drafted by Toronto. Okay, Um, tell me about
0: that. When people hear drafted, they they think think it's it's just like bells and whistles and and fanfare and all that. What round did you get drafted in? How did that
1: work? My junior year, I got drafted in the 36th round by Miami. It didn't sign. I went back for my senior year. My senior year, I got drafted in the eighth round. Okay. uh, For $5,000 eighth round eighth round five grand, five grand because in life life's all about leverage yeah and a lot of scenarios i had no leverage it was sure. like hey come play with us or you have no more eligibility in college
0: what was the number that they gave you in the 36th round
1: it probably i probably could have got anywhere from 50 to 100
0: so so 36 round money for a junior
1: yeah but i was thinking look what's the chances of me making it to the big leagues i'll go yeah. try to get uh, engineering degree, and I'll make somewhere between fifty and hundred my first year out. At being so, an engineer, so you were, and I knew was, we were going to be really good in Mississippi State my senior year. So
0: you weren't just hung up on, I'm going to be pro play pro pro, pro pro baseball.
1: I still wasn't in my 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 mind of what Even I was Even after being
0: do. drafted in thirty six round as a junior, yeah, I me mean, was mean, there but not like big.
1: I was throwing like eighty eight and maybe
0: ninety miles an hour, and at that time, it's yeah. like
1: who's gonna make it to the big leagues doing that. You know?
0: Okay, so what happened between your junior and senior year that that you, at number one, moved up the totem pole and they well, got better? Like what, what, what was the, what was the I transformation? I had a good
1: year. Nothing really changed as far as what I was offering. Yeah. But the way the draft was set up in the top ten rounds, if they didn't spend a lot of amount of money, then they could spend it on 11 through 40. So they saved money on me. My slot in that round was who knows how much, you know, half a million dollars. Somewhere between 300 to 500,000, they paid me 5,000, saved that money, and paid it to somebody else in like the 35th round. Really? Because if not, then you pay a penalty over everything you pay over 100 at that time to somebody after the 10th round, they paid a penalty on unless they saved it in the first 10 rounds. Got it. So, I mean, that got real deep quick in the the draft setup, but that's kind of why I moved up. Now, it helped because. The money really ain't the big deal. Like they draft me in the 8th round, that that means something to people when sure. they look at, you know, the where you were drafted. I get drafted, I go down on July 4th. Now, I just played in the College World Series. Our last year, we got Man. we got beat. Tell me about that. It was amazing. The best second best baseball experience of my life. What's first? Playing the World, World Baseball Th- Classic. Was it Playing for okay, Team okay.
0: USA. So let, we'll get into this in a second. So, so let's talk about this. this is, I think this is fascinating, and you're not going to tell this. I will tell this. So this is from a guy that's played in the World Series, yeah. pitched in the World Series, multiple games in the World mm-hmm. Series, pitched in the College World Series, College World Series. Yeah. and the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. And you say, hands down, which was the best experience? The World Baseball Classic. Why? That's, you got that's whole, fascinating. You got the whole
1: country cheering for you. Mm. you know what I mean you give me chill bumps right now think about it Like, <laughs> I don't know like, I remember when you did that, that last year that was special year. like yeah, man you gotta get ramped up early gotta get ready early gotta get in game speed early like we played that during spring training when yeah. we're like trending usually in spring training to get ready for a season yeah. like we had to be ready there was 40, 50, 60,000 like fans <sighs> and it was nuts it was crazy it was an all-star team too you got yeah. Mookie Betts and Trout and like, Arenado, you got everybody on that team. Goldschmidt, Real Muto, catching, like, the list goes on and on. Like, we could have – that was an all-star team. And then the pitchers and the fans, and we played Team Mexico in Arizona. I know we're fast-forwarding a little bit, yeah. but, like, gosh, that was the most – so, going back, second-best experience was the College World Series. Like, going to Omaha, yeah, representing Mississippi State – we, went, we had six wins and 24 losses my freshman year in Mississippi State. Oh. We were terrible. I wanted to quit. <laughs> Awful. I, ca- I called my dad. Go back to the lake. <laughs> I called my dad. I said, look, man, I don't know if I'm cut out. Like, my dad always said, finish the season. Sure. Like, we ain't quitting middle of the season. That was a rule in a Graveman household. Right. And so I said, okay, well, you know, it's the end of the season. I called Pops. I said, hey, I'm done. I'm out. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, all right. Yes, sir. <laughs> <not>. yes, sir. <laughs> but you told me. Yeah. <laughs> so I continued, you know, to play. And that last year, I think that was one that made something special as we, we kind of built it, or the group yeah. that I had. We had nine guys from the state of Alabama go over there and play at Mississippi State. That was on that recruiting class that I was in. And uh, like seven guys that made it to the big leagues from that team. See, I didn't
0: know any of this stuff, so this is wonderful. This
1: is yeah. awesome. Okay. So Mississippi State. You had that,
0: seven guys on one team go to the pros?
1: that, they, not in the pros, debuted in the big leagues at some wow. point. Wow. Yeah, it was a great team. But at the end, you play a two-out-of-three series against another team in the College World Series, which happened to be UCLA, and that was in 2013, and they beat us two-out-of-three. Mm. So that was tough, you know. Sure. I think the coolest experience and moment of that whole College World Series was during the finals, we're hitting band practice, and they open up the gates at a certain time, right? Yeah. And a lot of it's general missions hitting. When they opened up the gates at that time, the sea of maroon that ran in, That's man, it was nuts. And it felt like the game had started. There were so many people there watching batting practice, and yeah. I never experienced anything like that. So yeah. we were there for two weeks. Had a great two weeks. My parents and family came up and spent a lot of money staying in a hotel, but uh-huh. it was a memory of, you know, oh, of their yeah. life, too. So I got drafted by Toronto. That was actually during... Before College World Series, I'd already been drafted. Okay. So then you keep playing. Yeah. Like, knowing that, hey, next step, I'm going to go sign with a team. Step. yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. <clears throat> when signed with Toronto on July 4th down in Florida. I just played at the highest level of college baseball that you could possibly play. Yeah. And I go down to playing and watching, like, 16-, 17-year-old kids from the Dominican and Puerto Rico. Mm. And I'm like, this is a different game, like.
0: Wow. What was different about it?
1: It took a step back. It wasn't as polished or wasn't mm. as much, you know, very talented. Very, very talented. But the but fundamentals. Raw. Yes, yeah, raw. Yeah. So I go to Lansing, Michigan after I signed, which is, is low A.
0: So people, let me say this. People <laughs> think, and, and I, the reason I know this is because I know you. Right. And we've talked a lot about the professional experience. And one of the most fascinating things about Kendall is talking to Kendall when he talks about the business of baseball, it's a three-hour podcast in itself. Yeah, the intricacies that you and I mean, the things that you and I've talked about with you know being able to play here and the, the dollars and, and, and the, you know all the different cut and just all those different the deadlines and things like that—they're fascinating. So, so you're when people think when you get drafted, it's fanfare, but you go to on the fourth of July, no doubt, yeah. you go to South Florida and then you go to Michigan. Yeah. They sent me to Michigan for like
1: I don't know finish out for six weeks before okay. the all season would have started, and I'm really like, what am I doing here? We're in Lansing, Michigan, bro. I'm in a house with eight other guys living that have all been drafted. yeah, one of the guys was from uh he was from Venezuela, his wife was there, she was pregnant, she spoke no English, but we just didn't have any money like we had to, we were all splitting rent, eight guys in a house. I slept on a I slept on an air mattress alongside a guy named Chad Gerardo, who I played Mississippi State with, in a kitchen. With so a car w- in the kitchen? Yeah, on, two, on an air mattress, bro. He had his air mattress. <laughs> I had mine. We had a little blanket. Didn't have no sheet to cover it. Just Professional like, baseball player. Bro. <laughs> I got and, drafted. And then, then, I
0: played in <laughs> World Series 6 five weeks <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: ago. <laughs> bro, I'm like, what am I doing? We had a little couch in the front. Uh, like I had a little porch area, and we had one of those little grills. And we were like, cooked steaks out there. We felt like we was doing it, you know. <laughs> Next door, in the like, di- where would have been the dining room was my now financial advisor, whose name's Kevin Patterson. He played at Auburn. He roomed with us. And upstairs was another five guys and a wife. And like, it was, we're paying like $100 a month trying to get by. I was making like four or five hundred bucks every two
0: weeks. Oh my gosh. So less than $1,000 a PB&J's. month. Eating
1: PB&Js. Like,
0: been drafted so, so drafted in the eighth round for five grand for five thousand dollars. Government took two grand of it, so and, and you're eating peanut butter and jelly and sleeping on an air mattress in the kitchen, living life, just playing ball. Yeah. I mean,
1: I still love the game, yeah. Like, it was like, but this is the real I picture, st- folks. <laughs> <laughs> I still <laughs> didn't think I had a chance to make it a big league. Yeah. I was, I told myself, this is an honest truth. I told myself and I told Tori, who I was dating at the time who's now my wife. I said, look, I'll give it three years. Mm -hmm. I'll reevaluate after three years. If I think I'm gonna get to the big leagues, I'm gonna do whatever I can during that three year span to get there. If I don't, I'm gonna reevaluate. If I think it's unrealistic after three years, I'm out, I'll go work. Mm -hmm. If I think it's realistic, I'll keep going or if I've made it at that point, I'll keep going. So fast forward, one off season, took classes, went back to the start, we'll try to finish up my degree. Went to spring training the next year, They send me right back to Michigan, low A. So, the way baseball Mm. works, I mean, you got low A, we got rookie ball, you got low A, high A, double A, triple A, big leagues. So, Mm. it's like, and there's so you're one
0: step from the basement.
1: Yeah, there's like four or five other teams in front of me before I get to the big leagues. I mean, every team's got 25, 30 guys. So, they send me back. I start, I went pitch a month in low A, I get bumped up to high A. Okay. So, I'm thinking, all right, well, this is good, you know. Yeah. Two months in high A, get bumped up to double A. Okay. One start. They say, call me in office. It was a trade deadline. I thought I was getting traded. They said, hey, you're going to triple A. So, I'm like, man, this is amazing.
0: We went from low A. Yeah. Second to the basement. Second from the bottom. In the first year. In the first year all the way in getting bumped up to triple A in months. In a matter of four months. So, why do you think they did that? Were you just on fire? Were you pitching good? I mean – you know, I I
1: thrown the ball well. I was polished. I was older. I was. Mm, yeah. I'd already had four years of experience in SEC. You know, in baseball, like a lot of times, guys get drafted in high school. They spend those four years in the minor leagues developing. I was fortunate enough to develop in in college with great and, coaching and great yeah, great ball. coaching playing against good competition. Great food, great atmosphere, like right. all of it. So, uh, AAA, and then the end of the season was upon us like five days before the end of the season, they called and said, hey, we're putting you on the big league roster. We're going to call you up. This is Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. Okay. And that was 2014, September. They called me up. Look, most guys have a chance to meet everybody on the big league team because they'll invite you to big league spring training. So in the spring training for a few weeks, you'll be with everybody that's in the big league. Sure. I had no idea anybody that was there. And they had no idea who I was. I hadn't met anybody i met people all along the way for the whole year. Right. And so was able to – I threw like four or five innings out of the bullpen, which I was a starter at the time. I threw four or five innings out of the bullpen, mm-hmm. and then they traded me to Oakland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said, beat it.
0: Okay, so you get four or five – so you get traded to Oakland at the end of the first year? Yeah.
1: At, okay. Like Thanksgiving, I was at my parents' house. I remember I woke up. I fell asleep on the couch like one afternoon. I woke up. And I checked my phone. I had missed calls, messages, everything. Everybody found out except me. I was sound asleep. So found out I got traded to Oakland and then kind
0: of bounced around since then. So okay, so let's, let's walk. That's, that's I did not know that transition. So you go yeah. to Oakland. I knew you were in Oakland. Mm-hmm. So you're in Oakland. How did the transition start in year two, like now that Oakland had you?
1: Yeah, Oakland – uh, Where would you
0: go in spring training?
1: Big league spring training. Okay. And then I was like eighth or ninth on a depth chart as a starter on Oakland's team. I I gave up one run that whole spring training. I like pitched really well. Right. Broke camp with a team. And then pretty much stayed up in the big leagues like 2015, 16, 17, and 18. With, with, Oakland. with Oakland? Yeah, with Oakland. Okay. And then had surgery on my elbow, Tommy John surgery in 18.
0: Okay, why did, you, did, you, did you have one instance that happened or
1: was it over time that you got hurt? Uh, I really don't know. I made a start, I felt good. The next day I went to play catch. It hurt every throw from then until the six weeks that I rehabbed. Really? So I don't know what happened between when I threw 110 pitches in a start and then the next day, but it didn't bother me when I
0: pitched talk about this you can talk as much as, i mean this is probably public knowledge we could go back and look it up and you, but you talk about it as much as you want when did like not normal money start for you like when you when you got pulled up for toronto or when the first year in oakland when i say not normal money you know what i mean you know yeah. 90 grand $80,000 $50,000 i mean what when was like what was the minimum at the time in the in the major league I think the minimum when I got called up
1: was like five hundred and seventy five a a year. Okay. But I was paying forty percent California. I was paying forty percent to the Fed and then I was paying eleven to thirteen percent to California.
0: So you were half.
1: And then oh, I was right. paying rent in the okay. bay the Bay Area. So wow. I mean I was I mean, I'm not complaining, but I'm no. saying if you're looking at it from a perspective of like, oh, he took five hundred seventy five home, no, I took some money home when i really felt like i got into money was the first year of arbitration which was 2018 in Oakland.
0: So, okay so a lot of people don't know what the word arbitration is. Yeah so
1: for means. 3 years for 3 years you go on league minimum and then So you the, were on the league minimum for 3 years. Yeah for 3 years and then the next 3 years you go through a process called arbitration where well, they okay. compare you to other players Uh, of similar, like if you're a starter, you get compared to other starters. If you're a shortstop, you get paired to other shortstops and they compare your numbers and based off what they've done and what they got paid maybe two years previous in arbitration, that's what you may get paid. And you gotta go fight sometimes for that with three arbitrators. I win actually one time and lost and it's the worst thing because you have all your agents and Major League Baseball representing you from the Players Association and lawyers and you sit at a long table and they say how good you are and why you're worth X amount of dollars that they're trying to get you get paid. And then for the next 30, 40 minutes, MLB and the other side, the, the, owner, the owners sit on the other side. And they say, well, this is why he's not worth this much because he's bad at this, this, and this. You feel like the worst pitcher ever. And then the arbitrator decides, well, is he worth X amount or is he worth, you know, not that much? So wow. they make the decision on, well, we think he should have got paid. So I went... To try to make, I think it was like we filed. I was worth like two point five. Okay. They filed it like I was worth two point one. Okay. Or two point three. Arbitration did. I, uh, no, the, the owners and oh. the teams. Okay, so Kendall so you and had your, three you, parts you to and this. Your
0: agents, you and your agents said, "Hey, we think he's worth two point five million yeah. a year." Yeah. The owners said, "We think he's worth two point one million a year." Yeah. And you try to fight for the
1: middle ground, and the arbitrator says, "Well, okay, we think he's worth two point five, or we think he's point one. You either win or lose."
0: What did it end up that
1: year? Do you remember? I made. I think they filed at two point three six, and we filed at two point five, and we lost, and
0: we got two point three. Two point three six.
1: Yeah. Okay, that was the first time I felt like, man, we earned some cash. How you many know? years was that? That was four years into my, five years into my big league career
0: five years. Going from sleeping on couches, sleeping on an air mattress, yeah. grilling steaks on a mini grill. Yeah, to five years to later. To five years later. So it was not like, mm. sign a contract, I'm a millionaire.
1: Yeah, some people it's like that, but for me it wasn't.
0: Yeah. you know. But for most it's not though, right? I mean, yeah, I
1: would say for, for most it's not like millions right off the jump. Sure. But I think as you go along and continue to, to play, then the money gets better yeah
0: so you first year you're in Oak first year you're in oakland with the with a larger salary. so let's just call yeah. it two million you're at two million dollars at that, at that time what changed for you were you married to tory at the time yeah okay what changed for you and tory at the time financially how did you because lifestyle creep is a real thing professional yeah, sure. athletes is and spending money like a drunk engine is a real yeah. thing tell me how it goes from spending from making 500 grand which is a lot of money but again yeah. you're not it's not five hundred thousand dollars, like right? It's right, not. right. And it's not two million dollars. Yeah, it's not right. So tell me what the lifestyle differences were from five hundred to two million. Well, I tell you, one thing that didn't change was,
1: and and I had a t- chaplain tell me when I was at Mississippi State, we went through a whole bunch of stuff, and like one of the I remember the conversation I had with him. His name is Matt Jolly, somebody that's dear, like super close to me. He told me if you and we read in the Bible, like, hey, if we're diligent with a little, I believe we can be trusted to be diligent with a lot. Mm-hmm. One thing that hasn't changed, even though the numbers have gotten drastically more, we still give the same way. Yeah. So our first 10% of every check we've ever made, we've given mm-hmm. to the church. Like, yeah. we believe in that. And now we give more than 10%, but we believe that's where it starts. Right. So we go 10% of that. We live off... I got to pay agent. So I pay yeah. agent 10 and mm-hmm. we live off 10 and we save 70. Yeah. So with that rule in place, the lifestyle creep has happened a little bit simply because that 10 we live off of has increased some, mm. but we still, we still save 70%. You save 70% of that's, your take home. That's our goal. Always. It's been our goal from the time we started when I was making wow, league that's impressive. Home. My take home money, we've saved 70%. Mm-hmm. And that to me is something that, Tori, trust me with the finances. I sure. communicate with her some. Like some, she's like, like I don't care. <laughs> Y'all hear that? Like some, <laughs> she bored. She gets bored with it. Yeah, sure. you know, But yeah. I tell her, like we're living off ten percent, and we try to stick to that. Yep. And that's where, you know, that to prevent life lifestyle creep and the challenges that come with it, um, that's kind of where we stuck with.
0: Yeah. So, so you go. You're in Oakland. You're making the you at the $2 million mark. Where does it progress from there? How long are you there doing that?
1: Oh, I got uh elbow surgery, and then they said, uh we're going to non-tender you for your next what contract. Is that, what does that, that mean? That means you got fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like, you done. is a nice way of saying That means that they didn't want to pay me 2.4 for the next year to let, sit, let me sit there and rehab. Because I wasn't going to be able to pitch in 2019 because, uh, like, reconstructive elbow surgery, Tommy John surgery. I was going to be rehabbing for another 12 months. And they said, we're not going to sit here. Some teams would have were to you get
0: under contract for one year contract. Mm. Okay.
1: You know, it goes one year, to one so year. You were at
0: $2 million and then you get hurt.
1: I got hurt and I'm, I got no job. I was working out at a planet fitness for like two weeks trying to find a job.
0: I remember that. Yeah. That's when I met you. I, I, I you called really you around
1: like then. Yeah. I'm like living in Arizona. We just had a baby. Like my firstborn was born. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't know where my career was going. I thought it might be over, yeah. you know. And the Cubs called and they said, We'll sign you to a contract and a big league contract for a league minimum to rehab. And then that was 2019. But 2020. We'll tack on an extra year, but we get the option to pick up that. Now, if we don't want you in 2020, we can say beat it, and that's it. You know. Is that the only offer you had? Uh, big league offer. Yeah. I might have had a couple more, but once we got the big league offer, we was like, Let's that's go. it. So you rehabbed with a league minimum salary? Yes. For a year. For in, in Arizona the whole year. Best year of my life. Why? Because everything slowed down. Yeah. And I just got close to God. Yeah. I just said, look, this is what I'm doing. Like, I felt like it was discipline in a way. Yeah. You know, it it pains me to say, but sure. I was just living, you know, fun, big leagues, mm-hmm. like hanging out, not doing anything like crazy stupid, yeah. but it was just like distant from God. You know, yeah. that time <clears throat> I remember this house like it was this morning. There was this little office space. I would get up every morning and read. It changed my life, really? you know, and that to me was like something that uh, i wouldn't trade for anything, and yeah. I didn't throw a baseball in the big leagues that year. It was the best year and i it made me who I am today. Yeah. struggle, the pain of trying to get it back and sucked yeah. and those sure. days I was like i'm done bro i don't want to do this anymore, right, but at the end of the day, now looking back, super thankful for that season of life and During that season, I had a a benign bone tumor in my neck. Uh, We've talked before, and we talk about it, like, man, for six months, eight months. I was like, I have no idea why my neck hurts every waking moment, every time I lay my head down. Like, it never stopped hurting. Finally figured out what that was. Couldn't do surgery on it because it was too close to my spinal cord. Whole list of things. I really thought that, hey, now it's really over, you know? And the Cubs said, no, we don't want you. And then, so they didn't pick up my contract going into 2020. Mm-hmm. Seattle calls and said, "Hey, we'll we'll sign you." Um, I 2020 was COVID season. We didn't start the season until halfway through the summer. Right. I pitched, made two starts. My neck was hurting so bad I couldn't do it anymore. I'm sitting in Washington at University of Washington. I called my agent. I said, "I'm done. Like, I'm yeah. it's, it's over. Yeah. I had a good career. I'm over. I'm yeah. done." And then <laughs> he's, my pitching coach called and said, what if you could throw one inning for us? You know, maybe be a reliever.
0: So I started thinking. So at this time, let me go back. This is where – I think this is where the transition started. At this time you've been a starter. My whole career. Mississippi State, Toronto. Yeah. Oakland. Yeah. L- L- a- high a- Single, every high, day. everything. Always yeah. been a starter. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I said, well, maybe I could pitch one inning at a time, turn around do it the next day. and probably relieve some pain. You know, from not throwing 100 pitches to throwing 15 to 20 pitches in a day. So I called the trainer in um, the front office in Seattle, and they said, it's a last-ditch effort. Like, either it does or, like, you're done. Like, that's it. So they allowed me to try to be a starter. And I said, hallelujah. I mean, a reliever, sorry. I said, well, let's go try it. And from then on, I've had a much more successful career. Like, as a reliever, I've been a lot better than I was a starter sure. in every aspect of it. Uh, I think it fits my personality a little better to be able to impact games as much as I possibly mm-hmm. can, and um, that year and the next year in Seattle was great. Like, I had a, a good year. I got traded 21. Did in your neck 21. still hurt, though? It did, but we figured out, like, I could take a stronger non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, and it would help, and then... One offseason, miraculously, like, Amen. no pain. I ain't had pain. I had to take medicine. Nothing. That's awesome. Never had surgery. Wow. And uh, blessing, man, I because for almost two years I dealt with it and I was just over it.
0: So, so he comes in and says, hey, let's try this. So, the, so really, the I mean, this sounds silly, but the pitching coach is the one that brought this up. Pitching yeah. coach doesn't bring this up. And You're coming back to Birmingham. They were
1: going to put me on the IL for the rest of the year. Who's gonna pick up a guy just has surgery, made two starts in the past two and a half years, has a neck injury? Like nobody picking. Neck. Hey, it was yeah. over. It's over. So, I was already thinking about what I was gonna do next. So
0: he, he he said, "Hey, come come be a." And you were a middle reliever. What they what is it a middle? Yeah, reliever? Yeah, they just reliever? was like, "Hey, just
1: do some relief appearances." Because they didn't know how it was gonna work out. Sure, you know it was they like, want to
0: get their money's worth too. I would imagine. Yeah, they Try can't to. put
1: me on a late inning deal and. i've never done it so i had nine relief appearances that year that was 2019 Mm -hmm. no 2020 they renegotiated my contract to be a reliever with a ton of incentives because they're like if he's healthy and he pitches the way we think he can he's worth making you know x amount of money but if he's hurt then we'd only want to pay him a million dollars sure which is fine i mean that's that's reasonable so i go out and had a great first half of the season and then they traded so that was 21. I, I re-signed this. with Houston. I mean, I re-signed with Seattle and then halfway through the season, they traded me to Houston. Okay. So
0: that's what So tell me this tell them, tell the story. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> tell the story about being traded from Seattle to Houston. Seattle
1: wow. was finally getting in the AL West like conversation. Okay. Houston been the dog in the West for numerous years yeah right ain't nobody beating the astros Correct. seattle was a couple games back of houston this was late in the season right you were competing to get in the playoffs yeah i was trying to like get seattle in the playoffs yeah. like i was in like we had a good team bunch of nobodies performing well it was right. great so um the night before i got traded we hit a grand slam ended up finishing a game late in the game and beat Houston to pull within a couple games of the division.
0: You're playing with Seattle. With
1: Seattle. Against Houston. Against Houston. In Seattle. In Seattle. Place was going nuts. Vibe around the city was was only up. Like, people was like, oh, the baseball team is getting better. Like, you could see the trend coming. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of carried on till now. They've been great. Um, That was the first part of it. And there was a lot of excitement. Yeah. I show up to the field the next day. Obviously, there's rumors. There's, oh, Grayman might get traded. Two weeks before that, I had already canceled. Like, I ain't getting traded. I'm staying here. Like, we're trying to push. And so I show up to the next, next day. I'm going out for my throwing program. I had already – this was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The game's at 7. I walk outside. I then get called in the office and say, hey, we need to see you in the manager's office. And that's not an everyday thing. Like, you just don't get called in the manager's office. I'm like, all right, what's going on? You know, obviously I kind of know. I step in, I sit down. It's me, the manager, and the assistant GM sitting there. And they said, we've traded you. And the only thing that came out of my mouth, I said, to whom? And I, they said, to the Astros. And I said, (laughs) I hated the Astros, bro. I mean, like, yeah. all the stuff, all yeah. the scandal, playing against them. They beat us right. all the time. I was in Oakland, the same division. Right. I was in Seattle, the same division. I'm tired of seeing them guys beat up on everybody. Right. So half of me was like, I got to go tell everybody in Seattle, all my teammates I've been grinding, trying to get to the playoffs, I'm out. They watched me pack up my locker, bro. I ain't never seen a group of guys come off the field mad, like, because in that moment, it feels like the team gave up to the other guys. Sure. Not knowing what they got in the mix for coming down the road. All they see is the moment. So, I pack up my locker. I walk 200 yards in the bowels of the stadium, drop my bag off in Houston's locker room, and have to say hello to all those guys. So, <laughs> within a span of like 20 but minutes. you pitched against the night before. Bro, I pitched against the night before. People I didn't like. For forever yeah but i went from like all right we might have a chance to make the playoffs to oh we might have it i might have a chance to win a world series yeah so there's so many emotions going on bro and then there's reporters right here yeah. like hey what do you think about the trade i'm like i ain't had time to process a thing i, I got, sent Toria a text i still got my saddle handle <laughs> i got changed <laughs> i sent Toria a text say hey we've been traded and i don't even know if i remember t- telling her to who i just was like in a hurry trying to get the game was about to start in a couple hours. I was trying to go get fitted and get a uniform for the Astros and everything. Boom. Hey, we've been traded. I don't even know if I responded back. Then I put my phone in my pocket I'm out. Like, I got to go get my job done. So, introduced myself to Dusty Baker and the whole crew and, you know, I meet everybody. I love that. That was so, fun. So, tell me about the rest of the season. <laughs> rest of the season, pitched well. Um, got to pitch in the playoffs. Did you
0: pitch that night?
1: No, okay, Dusty, okay, okay. <laughs> Dusty had so much feel as a manager, he said, I'm going to give you two nights off. Yeah. He said, chill, get used to everybody. We don't need you for two nights. We got it. Great. Yeah. I was like, thanks. Thanks, bro.
0: <laughs> I need that. Right. <laughs> so, So go from there. How did that season end up?
1: Good. Finished up season. Uh, playoffs. Uh, let's see, we, pit, we played in the ALDS, and then we played a uh, championship series In Boston or against Boston, that was fun. Being in Fenway in October, cold environment, man, 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 what a place! Like Mm. I remember watching it growing up, Yankees, Boston, the playoffs, like it's fun. And then played the Braves in the World Series uh, that year, got beat um, by the Braves in the World Series. Uh, That was, you know, in itself really cool. Sure, like how many people get to say they. Pitched and performed in the big league World Series, so in yeah. the World Series. So and
0: transitioning from there, where after the World Series, what happened? Because at this point, you were up. Like they, Houston just signed you to a one-year contract, Yeah. And so you were on the market. quite Yeah,
1: a yeah, free agent that year, and had a good year going into free agency, which was you know obviously always the goal. Great. You know, you yeah. show you're trending. Um, we we're about to have a lockout. That added to I that. like. And everybody knew the lockout was coming, mm-hmm. new collective bargaining agreement, all this stuff. So,
0: now let me say this this is behind the curtain. When this lockout was coming, I was sitting there and I was talking to you on the phone. And I said, Hey, what about this lockout? And you're like, Nah, bro, it's fine. Yeah, it'll be the, all right. they'll, they'll get it done. Yeah. And like you, and you, you called the shot. Like you called the shot. They're like, Hey, they got to uh, X number of games. But as far as TV is concerned, because of the money, yeah. they'll get it figured out. They'll get it and figured I'll out. I'll be darned if it didn't play out exactly how you said it. Yeah, the no, business of sports. Nobody likes losing money. You know? <laughs> Especially the billionaires. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it'll all work out at the yeah. end. They'll get it figured out. They did. And they got it figured out. And uh, I signed a three-year deal with the Chicago White Sox um, before the lockout, yeah. So going into the next year,
0: pitched with the White Sox. Big. Is, this is your big contract. Yeah, this it's is my like big this contract. Is like a hallmark contract yeah. as far as like a career. Yeah, made. It, I mean, made good money and it's more comfortable than you've ever been as yeah. far as the financial right. part is concerned. So we signed a in
1: public knowledge and it's we signed a three year deal for twenty four million dollars at eight a year. Yeah, and played first year there. Played second year which was last year there and got traded back to Houston halfway through the contract That's right. so we had a decision to make in the um in the world of like being a free agent like sure. there was obviously multiple options it was really hard to say no to some of the teams but from the financial standpoint first time really being in it that was the option I needed to make sure um then getting back to Houston it was like I never left same guys same crew years. same everything right. you know so hop back in that was this year, finished up the year with Houston, and uh, got beat in the uh, ALCS by the Rangers, who ultimately went on to win the World Series. They beat us in game seven. Right. So I remember that. Yeah.
0: So, multiple teams, Toronto, Seattle, or uh, Oakland, Seattle, Houston, Chicago, most people think that's a dream. It's not easy. You got them to pay exorbitant amounts of rent in, in Chicago, and you're having to live in Oakland and all these yeah. different things. One of the things that, that we talk about a lot on here is, and we've talked about zero business so far, which is totally fine because this is an absolutely fascinating story. We talk about the culture of different companies, whether it be Church of the Highlands that's got seven or eight hundred employees, right. or MealFit that's got 14 employees, or the guy down the road that's got three people, or 50, whatever. The mood in the room, the culture of the people is important. Right. And baseball is a business. The bottom line, it's a business. Talk about the differences in the locker rooms. So you got, you got, let's just talk about the most recent ones. So you've got Chicago, then you've got Houston. Chicago, team hasn't been doing very well in the past however many years. Right. Houston crushing it, one of, one of, one of a couple, three, two or three World Series in the last however long. Winning program, not a winning program. Talk to me about the cultures of the different locker rooms, because you talk about the locker room all yeah. the time when I talk to you.
1: Right, I think it's it's important, and I try to think through like what does my next step in life look mm-hmm. like, and ultimately, eventually, want to lead something and build something and yeah. grow something, and so I'm I'm kind of always trying to see from the cultural perspective. Yeah, um, I I believe. And this is just my belief system. Yeah. Like culture starts from the top down. Sure. Right. Somebody's got to be, I think the speed of your company depends on the speed of your leadership and them being able to push and being able to progress and being able to lead a certain group of people. When that slows down and it gets taken for granted, what type of person that you are hiring, not just for their skill set, but for who they are. As a person, from people to people, then you struggle. Yeah. I think on the forefront of hiring somebody, whether it be in the big leagues, whether it be, uh, you know, in a business like yours, I think we have to ask first, what type of person am I getting? Mm. Not what skill do they bring. Obviously, we can look at a sheet of paper of anybody in the big leagues that's played right now, currently, or ever played, and we can see the skill set. Sure. There's so many analytics now, you can really see the skill set like of everything. That don't ultimately win.
0: Mm.
1: On paper, there's been teams I've been on that at the beginning of the year, pundits and talking heads around the country, like big name ones, have predicted that team that I was on to be in the World Series. And then you have a team in Houston, when I go to it, and these guys have built a dynasty over the past 8, 9, 10 years. I think you could be have a special team and win in certain instances when you don't put together a good culture. But I think you could build a dynasty when you put together a good culture. And it's very hard to overlook talent and get a person that you know is going to drive you mm. forward yeah. opposed to getting talent and knowing somebody that might be iffy. Sure. So – so, go ahead. I guess going back to it, it was a split deal in Chicago. It was tough. It was tough. Like, we tried to make it work. It yeah. was tough. It really was. And then in Houston, when you have people pulling all in the same direction on the same rope to try to win a baseball game, yeah. even though they might think in their mind, we ain't as talented, but we know we're pulling all in the same direction. And I think there's the unity when when you watch the warriors play in in the past when they talked about strength in numbers that's it when you get the whole team to bond together like that it's special and that's why it made and it trickles down like we're talking about houston taking an extra step and taking care of our families at a higher level when they talk about travel with our families letting them travel with us and and taking care of my kids like i drop my kids off or my wife does when she comes to a game. And a room that has extremely good care, like daycare, childcare in the afternoons and throughout the whole game. So you can go watch the game and the kids are safe. They feed them like everything. Like when there's attention to detail yeah. and a spirit of excellence, I think you can drive a a, a, comp, a company and a corporation forward.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that you've always talked about and is extremely important for you is Tory and the girls. Yeah. Um, I remember numerous conversations the first time you're in Houston and even the sec- this last time you're in Houston about what you just said, how they took care of your family, and you can attest to this not all major league baseball teams do that yeah it's it comes
1: down to what do you value okay. you know, what do you what do you what do you value and what do you understand that the player values mm. you know like Every team has a set of value systems. Like, dude, you can look at each team. But word spreads when you take care of people's family, when you take care of their travel, mm-hmm. when you take care of at an extra level. Yeah. Now, everybody, like, there was child care in Chicago. And I'm not saying they did a terrible job. They actually made improvements while I was there. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a step in the right direction. But you got to continue to push forward and say, hey, we're in the top and the upper echelon of, like, taking care of, Kendall and his wife and his two girls, because when they come to the game, I don't need him worried about them. or they taken care of? No. Like that's the last thing I need on his mind. Yeah. You know, and I need them to have an enjoyable experience for 81 times a year when they come to a
0: game. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so we've started the upper income stuff has started to happen. You and I've talked numerous times about, um, next steps for you. But also, because we don't really know what that is, you got one more year on this contract, right? right. Yeah. One more year on this contract. Hopefully, maybe, maybe some more years down the road, because I know you're extremely healthy right now. You train with Cal Tinsley, who does a wonderful job here in Birmingham. Trains multiple major league, big league players. Um, as you started making more money, what have you been doing financially from an investing standpoint? How have you been taking that extra 70%? Yeah, What have you been doing with that? For me, a
1: lot of it is I told you my financial advisor and yeah. somebody that i growing up and it wasn't a bad thing it was just like in in the house that I grew up in with my parents, it was just balanced checkbook save and have some for a rainy day fund sure um I didn't know i uh, I wasn't very fluid in finances of like how to make money grow Correct. which is fine like yeah. so what they they told me to save and All right, good. So, now opening up a whole new world of like creating dividends for myself and like all right, when my career is done. I have a short window to make money. It's very different than ninety nine percent of the world, where over a long time you play. I mean, you create wealth over a long time. You stack it.
0: The more you make,
1: I might be done after. Like if I don't play another year after this, I'm thirty three years old with a front loaded money what do I got to do with it? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking if I'm done after this year, I've got to create dividends and cash flow for myself from the market Mm -hmm. and learning a lot by talking to my financial advisor once, twice a week, because he's a friend of mine. So it helps. And I trust him about what are we doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm doing a lot of it. And then secondly, you and I talk a good bit. We've tried to, we've went and looked at apartments and <laughs> rural Alabama, all kinds <laughs> we, of bro, we went places. Kind of yeah, places. Nothing has worked yet. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's a growing and a learning experience for me. Yeah. It's been awesome. Um, we're even doing some stuff now that you've introduced yep. me to. So that's fun for me. Um, I know that the way I'm wired a lot like my father and my parents, I can't just sit, sure. you know, and be retired. Yeah. I could, from a financial standpoint but I know that I want to grow something and build something so I know the real estate uh side really interests me Mm -hmm. don't exactly know what that looks like down the road or how it's gonna work its way out but I think that'd be something that's in my future
0: yeah I think that one of the things that we talk a lot about on here is being able to sit with people and and meet with people and be friends with people and bounce ideas off of someone that doesn't know as much of thing about things as you do. Right. Like I ask you a lot of questions, but I probably know a lot more about the business and the real estate stuff than you. do. But I still right. ask you lots of questions. Right. Like if I wanted to teach you to learn how to throw a slider, I would come to you. Right. Right. But like real estate stuff, you've been coming to me. But I'll say this: you, you've helped me, a ton, and I don't think I've ever told you this story. So we get I get investment deals pitched to me all the time, like whether it be land. Whether it be flips, whether it be apartments, whatever. I get stuff weekly. But I got pitched a deal about oil and gas. Remember this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I looked at this oil and gas thing. Right. And we looked at this. I sat on the call. You sat on the call. And this is where the network of people helps you so much. So you sat on the call. You was like, hey, let me call my buddy in Texas that does so." I don't even know who it was. Yeah, right. And you called your guy. And you said, hey, this is what I'm looking at. It's a hundred. I think it was a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand yeah. dollars an investment, but it was in oil and gas, which is can be risky, right? Right, but can be lucrative. Yeah, for sure. Risk and reward. And you called this guy, and the guy said, "Hey, is it so and so that's running the running the, the fund?" Mm-hmm. And you go, "Yeah," and he, and then your buddy goes, "Stay away." Yeah, he goes, "Stay away." And I don't know if you know this, that fund has not done hardly
1: anything. Really, and I think. That goes back to even the cultural aspect, because I don't think that they didn't think or believe in him no. to make some money. at Eventually, at some point, obviously, the guy that we're talking about has made some money on some deals. Sure. I think a lot of that boiled down to the guy that I called, that I trust, made one phone call and was like, yeah, that's not the guy that I would be, him personally would be doing business with because of maybe the culture and the, the, the experience that right. he knows that that guy may offer. So I was like, all right, we're out. And that's the connection and the network. And one thing that, you know, that you've done a great job for me personally is even if you can't help me, you've always introduced and made connections and you've not been scared of like, hey, you need to meet so-and-so or you need to come up here and I need to introduce you to somebody, which I'm very thankful for because ultimately your network's not the same as mine. But if we can come together and say, hey, I'm not scared of you. And you introduce me to one one of the people that you do real estate with. I might do a business deal with that person someday, and you're okay with that. And that's what there's no ego. There's no you have nothing reserved about. All right, well, he might take a deal away from me or whatever. Like we're in this like, I don't say together, but But like hey, yeah, let's let's figure stuff out along the way. And I think. When you have that and you strive and you trust each other enough to say, hey, this is what we want to do or this is what I got on my plate right. and talk through deals, there's a lot of learning. There's a big learning curve for me over the past couple of years. Yeah.
0: And I think, that's, I think that continues. I think that as much as anything, you're learning about stuff, I'm learning about stuff. We have to continue to stay together and just figure out how to right. how to leverage each other's relationships. Because you've got relationships I don't have. Yeah. And i got relationships you don't have. And we need to continue to do those. Exactly. So, Okay, so we, we haven't talked much about Tori and the girls. Talk about the family life a little bit and how, because what I know of her is amazing. She's, yeah. she's, she seems like a pretty headstrong girl. Like she, right. she knows what she wants. But just like being a coach, having a husband or a spouse that's a professional baseball player, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. There's a lot of a long time. You're at, the baseball, you're at the ballpark, you know, it's eight, nine hours a day. Talk about that dynamic with the girls and the different places y'all've lived, and how that's been.
1: Yeah, I know. There's a lot of like giving up on sleep to try to parent, mm. and I have told myself and made a commitment to Tori that I'm not going to allow this game to take away from me being the best parent I possibly can. Yeah. Like, I get home at on a night game that starts at seven. Say the game lasts three hours, ten. By the time you get out of there after treatment and everything after the game, I'm getting home at 1130. If you pitch at night, you still got adrenaline. You wind down at 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Well, the girls might not have went to the game that night. Sure. They might have been in bed at 9. Mm-hmm. They're up at 730. 30 7, 730 ready to roll. Daddy! Yeah, let's go. Like, why are you not up? They didn't care I played a game <laughs> last night. They don't and fear. I think for me, that's the biggest thing is, like, Tori does a phenomenal job. Like, I'm on the road 81 games a year. Mm and i'm traveling and i'm going from houston to seattle for our flight and back and the girls haven't started school yet lila my oldest is about to be five laney my youngest is two and we have another one on the way mm-hmm. another girl and so that that baby's due uh, in may and in the middle <laughs> <Awesome>. of <laughs> in the middle of the season yeah. so um there is stuff that we've had to do that has made it um I guess we've 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 spent money on like hiring out somebody to come sit for babysit and keep the girls and for an extensive period of time. Like, hey, Tori and I need to go for several hours. You know, we yeah. need to go, and this time we may have to hire help. And Lila, my oldest, is about to start school, and I'm gonna be on the road next fall. She's gonna be in kindergarten, so we may have to hire a tutor or somebody. Mm-hmm. Where my my thing is, and I had a teammate tell me we that was a Christian guy that I trusted a ton. He was like, we do not spend more than 10 days away from from each other at Mm -hmm. any given point. We try to do seven, no more than a week, but sometimes I'm on the road for 12 days. Like at some point during that road trip, the girls are coming to see me and we're not gonna spend that much time away from each other. And we just make it work. I mean, they travel, Tori is a master at traveling the airport with two kids. The girls are on their scooters like, going through airports like she's had so many traveling hacks that i'm like i'm so proud of you by figuring so
0: that, that you out <laughs> like, and traveling with a five-year-old and a three-year-old or a it's,
1: two-year-old is not easy no not easy and the girls do well they they have probably lived in lila's probably lived in 12 different places she hmm. doesn't know any different she don't know any different. that's her life like balancing. Show up to this place, and we got toys here. Show up to back to. She calls our house here the down house because in Chicago we lived in a high rise. She called that the tall house, and this one's the down house. So she's like, all my toys are there. And then I go to the high rise when I we were in Chicago, and I had toys there, and it was just a blast, you know. So they enjoy it, and it's stuff that I didn't get to see in the world and cities. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I can play a little bit longer where, you know, Lila gets to understand mm-hmm. the experience.
0: Tell me what. Um seeing the guys that you work with, how many of those guys do a good job financially? And how many of those guys spend money like it's got a hole in their pocket? What's the percentage there? What do you think?
1: I say 60-40. 60 being good, 40 being spending like there ain't no tomorrow. And that's just a guess. I mean, that's just me kind of ballparking it. I think now with technology – and information, that number's probably gone up
0: over the years. Many more people are being more conservative. More, success, okay, more successful. Okay, tell me about this. this what, about your, what about your foreign teammates? What about your Dominican, your Cuban, yeah. your, your Mexican, your your guys that are not from here that didn't grow up in Alexander City or didn't yeah. grow up like that, that didn't super middle class? How are they, how are they with, with big, big dollars? The thing that
1: I find encouraging is how much money they – will send to their family to help them in sometimes what we consider a third world country yeah living in poverty like they have such a different perspective really on just life and money in general that they're okay with taking care of immediate family and extended family because they don't want to see them suffer anymore mm. not like in america where somebody may just want an extra pair of $500,000 shoes, like they're sending it down there for food and living, like yeah. legit needs. Water. Yeah, like stuff that they need. And I think that's pretty inspiring to see how they handle their money that way. And I'm talking about guys in the minor leagues that were sending their whole checks back home. Really? Because they could eat at the field if they needed to. Wow.
0: Um, before we wrap up, there's something I always I like to think about, and you're a little bit different. And I talk, we talk about advice and talk about, you know, what people have told you. What's the best – I say advice. What's the best thing that one of your, your older fellow big leaguers has given you advice on? What's the best thing? Like, man, that stuck with you and it resonates and you do that. What's the best piece of advice a fellow big leaguer has given you? I think there's a moment that I
1: always go back to. Um, in my big league career, I just got called up. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even received a check yet. Okay, We're playing in Yankee Stadium. It's Jeter's last hoorah. Everybody knew he was retiring. So somebody that I grew up like, man, this is, I played shortstop in high school. I was like, man, this is the best. So much fun to watch. like Competitor, you talk about building a culture, build around that dude. Like, boy, what an experience that he won so many championships and yeah. all of it. So I'm sitting there. And this is advice from him, but also seeing, like visually seeing, okay? He's got, like, I don't know, it's probably a week and a half, two weeks left in his big league career. We had just played a mid-afternoon game. and We played a night game. We had a mid-afternoon game. So their BP, their batting practice was, like, at 11 o'clock that day. He could have showed up. The game was at 3. He could have showed up at 2.30, put on a pair of cleats. He's going to be in the lineup every day. Everybody was coming to see him. But at 11 o'clock, I step out of our locker room into our dugout, and I see Derek Jeter running from second base, working on getting a secondary lead and working on his base running. Like, my guy, you've played in the big leagues for almost 20 years. You know how to run a base, but you're out there working on base running. He comes around, rounds third. And at this point, the reason I wanted to go talk to him was ask if I sent a jersey over, could he sign it? The jersey costs like 300 bucks. I hadn't got a check yet. I hardly had no money I texted my brother I said she like buy this jersey he's like yeah, absolutely buy the jersey so I bought the jersey I said hey I want to introduce myself my name's Kendall Graveman and he said I'm Derek Jeter nice to meet you and I'm like well yeah I know who you are you know and he's a lot taller in person than I thought he would be and he said congrats on the call up and he's, I said, man, can you, you know, can you sign a jersey for me if I send it over? He said, absolutely, no problem. And then he said, just remember one thing, always have fun playing the game. So I saw two things in that moment. I saw a guy that no matter how late in his career he was, he was still working his butt off trying to get better. Wow. And I saw two that he told me to have fun always playing the game and always enjoy the game. Yeah. And I thought those two things that really resonated with me from a young guy just getting to the big leagues – I'm standing in new Yankee Stadium mm. with the backdrop of of Yankee Stadium right there, shaking a guy's hand that's a Hall of Famer, and I thought that was something that will always resonate with me. That can resonate in me in anything, you know. Always wow. have fun doing what you're doing, you know, and always, no matter how much you feel feel like you've got it figured out, try to get incrementally better.
0: Wow. Well, I don't know that there's a better way that we can end this thing. Uh, you and I are fixing to eat lunch together here in a minute, so I can get some more of the integral details. But, Kendall, man, I cannot tell, thank you enough for just coming in and sharing these things. I mean, like probably 75% of the stuff I didn't know, so I'm super yeah. thankful for that. Um, you're not on social? No. Nothing?
1: No LinkedIn, no nothing? No, I mean – I have all the accounts, but they're not. Okay. I
0: haven't used. Any I'll other. put his cell phone in the uh, comments. <laughs> so that it. So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, again, thank you so much. This yeah, has thank been great. Uh, I know there's so many people out there, business owners, and uh, we have a lot of people that watch this that have kids. Yeah. And I think that all a lot of the messages you're saying is going to resonate well with them. So, yep.
1: thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thanks. All right.